Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, I wish in strong enough terms and open enough terms, I could tell you how much is going on behind the scenes in college football right now. Unbelievable, kind of like last year, and you wouldn't have really believed it if you could have seen it all last year. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday, February 23rd, the year of our Lord, 2023. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a, an unseasonably warm downtown Nashville, Tennessee. NIL is about to change. In fact, a lot in college football is about to change. In fact, for the third time in the show already, it's taking things that used to bore you and you've all of a sudden become interested in them. How do I know? I see the numbers when we discuss such things, and I'm going to prove it to you tonight. One of them, NIL, I got big changes coming for you. I'm sort of going to reiterate a few things and present some new ideas tonight. I promise you, the ones of you out there who say that this bores you will be interested in this. Because I used to say it bored me. I famously didn't even cover NIL on the show for a long time. And I still don't do it every show, but we got some stuff to talk about tonight. The Pac-12 is in trouble. Uh, Uncle Dennis has been dropping some dimes. He's been dropping some articles. He just dropped some tweets in the last hour. I think the Big 12 is in trouble. If the numbers that are being floated out there are anywhere close to reality, you might want to grab as much Pac-12 memorabilia as you can, because as it exists now, I'm not so sure that conference is around for the long haul. we got spring questions to talk about, because this is a college football show, after all. We've got impact transfer portal quarterbacks to talk about, because as I have learned, sometimes so much is being fed at you in December and January that you can't process it all. For example, do you remember where Jeff Sims went? He was that quarterback at Georgia Tech. Remember they beat Florida State two years ago? Many of you do not. Don't worry. I'm going to talk to you about him tonight and why there may be a whole lot of juice left in the squeeze of Jeff Sims. You know, 2007 was crazy. We all know that. It could have been so much crazier. We're going to go back in the uh, Wayback Machine tonight, and I'm going to just throw a scenario slash scenario at you, and we're going to have fun with that. They're watching us in Sharpsburg, Georgia, Portland, Oregon, and Huntsville, Texas, probably Huntsville, Alabama, too. Short drive down 65 from here. I told you we were going to make an appearance. We were going to go on the road, and we were going to be in someone else's house on someone else's show earlier this week. And it was the oft-contemptible Brandon Walker over at Unnecessary Roughness. And I did so. We had really uh, a good response from that. Had a lot of fun doing it. I think Director Colin has like a 30-second or so clip from it. Just a little taste of what you can find over on the 
Unnecessary Roughness channel. Hey, do you want to tell them what you sent me last night, which was a waste of your time because I didn't look over it, but everything you're holding in your hand, all that handwritten cursive, this is called formatting in the industry, people. And formatting typically comes off a printer and the paper's hot. Your guy, your leader still writes in cursive, credit to you and credit to the public education system in Mississippi. First of all, writing cursive only means one thing. It means I'm old. Okay. And that's, that's fine. I take great pride in my cursive writing. Secondly, there's one person to my right and one person to my left who, who wonders where they are right now because I have this beautiful written format. I never come here. No. There's the never written. a format. I never have a format. I only did it because I thought that's what you liked. I thought that's <laughs> how you did your shows. And you texted me yesterday. You said, so what are we going to talk about? I came up with like this 20, is 25 bullet points <laughs> and then you didn't even read them. This it's, is professionally done. It's the most thorough thing I think of ever seen you do. Okay, I got your format in front of me. Yeah, look at that. Look at look at the three PDFs that were sent to me. I'll print this out for my own personal record. <laughs> and the worst, worst part of that is in classic old man form, there was a thumb that worked its way into the very corner of the pictures. Some of the worst cuticles you'll ever see in the game today. Brandon Walker, worst cuticles you'll ever see. But we had a lot of fun. So that entire show, we went over an hour, is over on the Unnecessary Roughness YouTube channel, podcast feed, anywhere uh, you want to get them. So we had a lot of fun with Katie and Jack and Brandon in that order. The previous show we did is we dive into tonight's show. The last episode of Late Kick, the average viewer out there watched over 28 minutes of it. And I know not everyone out here is familiar with audience retention metrics. I just want to tell you that's insanity. So thank you and keep doing whatever you're doing. So let's dive into the show tonight. There are going to be some changes coming to college football, specifically to NIL. And I was in this conversation earlier today with a guy that uh, we used to all know around here because he hired most of us, and a guy who's now over at On3, Shannon Terry. And we were talking back and forth about some changes that are coming in NIL. Kind of stemmed from a clip, ironically, that we talked about the other day over on Brandon Walker's show. And it, it really has to do with how things aren't so lovely right now for a lot of you and how I think things are radically about to change. So Shannon was replying to me earlier today and he was talking about how the athlete IP plus the school mark IP, I'm going to explain all this in a second, equals the real opportunity. We've talked about that ad nauseum on the show for a little while, how things are going to be more directed into a flow down that river instead of the just collective wild, wild west river that we see right now. And he said, we're going to look back 10 years from now and say, wow, can you believe the schools are now making this much off of NIL? Okay, so my reply is the crux of what I want to get to tonight. Schools making bank off NIL is not a concept today. None of you talk about that because it doesn't exist. Arkansas or Illinois or Rutgers, they're not making money off NIL right now. I'm about to tell you they're going to make a ton of money off of it. Now, that may sound good or bad to you. Well, it all depends on what your viewpoint is. So right now, what don't you like? A lot of you have complained. I saw David Hale over at ESPN. who's a really good reporter that covers our sport. He was repeating some numbers that had been sent to him, I think by a focus group earlier today or a research group that was just gauging the public's perspective on NIL. And there was, as you would expect, a really big split of people who thought it was a net positive for college football and a net negative for college football. And they had it all divided up. They had it divided up from political classes to old and young to racial. It, every, they had everything broken down. I'm not going to dive that deep. I'm just saying some of you love where we are. Some of you don't like where we are. But the ones who don't like where we are, I would ask this. What if things change 
to where things were a lot more regimented, they're more formatted. It's basically, it's night, nice and neat and tidy, and you don't have a whole lot of what just happened with Jaden Rashada going on. Because I really don't think hardly anyone looked at that situation the way it played out and said, yeah, that seems great for the game overall. For the game overall. So, some things are unpredictable in this sport. This is not. Some things, I mean, some things are really unpredictable in college football. The direction NIL is about to go is not. And the reason is because if you're out to sea and you got seven captains on seven ships and they all want to go to the same harbor, those ships are going to wind up in that harbor. And if you tell the powers that be in this sport, I'm not even knocking them. I'm just matter-of-factly telling you, if you tell the powers that be, hey, there's this place you can direct this sport and there's this place you can push NIL to where you guys make a lot of money. Well, guess where they're going to go? It doesn't take a rocket scientist. Even we figure that out, right? How do we get there? What does that even mean, by the way? Well, you saw what Shannon said there and what I'll reiterate. The real value in NIL hasn't been realized yet, in my opinion. Right now, you've still got folks who are so in the weeds on this thing that they think about NIL in terms of collective, in terms of whether it's legal or not. How much can we offer a kid as a recruiting inducement? Which is not the way it's supposed to operate, but it operates that way most of the time. And so it's how much could I get guaranteed to go to that school through their collective? And I am a believer that's not where we're going to be very much longer. And I'm also a believer as a result of that, a lot of you are going to find college football a lot more palatable. You're going to be able to accept it. It's going to go down a little bit easier than it goes down right now, where some of you are having to hold your nose, or maybe you just don't follow recruiting anymore, or maybe you just have to fingers in the ear, la, 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 can't hear you, can't hear you when people report about NIL and you just want to know who's on your team come week one in the fall. You don't have to live like that. And I don't think you're going to have to live like that much longer. But this whole concept of IP, which stands for intellectual property, by the way, the IP in my world, in the media world, is the content that we produce, my ideas, my thoughts. This show right here, well, the ownership of this show is kind of interesting, but in general terms, if you're doing a show and you are employed by 24-7 Sports and CBS, they own that content. That G on the side of Brock Bauer's helmet in the B-roll you're watching right now, that is Georgia intellectual property. Brock Bauer's puts that helmet on, and all of a sudden, Brock Bauer's and the things that he does and the words that he utters and what he posts on social media, it's all of a sudden worth a whole lot more because of the rub that Brock Bauer's, talented in his own right, gets from that G. Jackson Smith and Jigba, really good player. If he's standing on a street corner, it's one thing. If he's playing for Ohio State University, that's another thing. So there's value in both sides. And down the road, through things like group licensing, this is going to be realized. It has long since been realized on the professional side of things. They, they've had their act together. Uh, that, is, that is an entity, whether it be the NFL or Major League Baseball or NBA. I mean, this is what they do. This is not what college athletics has done. So it's just, it's a new realm for everyone. But what does it mean for you? Forget nameless, faceless bureaucrats. Forget the, even the football players for a second. This is a show for fans. You, you are the ones who drive the bus. All this ultimately exists because of you, if you really stop to think about that for a second. There's a whole lot of money to be made because of you. Not just because of how talented a player is. Not just because of how much brand value is in a university logo. Yes, those things are true. But... That's the cart before the horse. You're the one who's really powering all that. 
And so I think it, it bears mentioning how this affects you. People who are saying it's none of your business, it doesn't matter what you think. It very much matters what you think. Because if you don't like the product, you can leave and the product loses its value. And I hope more people in this industry realize that than I feel they do. Down the road, what if, for example, and this, this may be where Shannon and I disagree a little bit. I, I think that he's right. I think it will be more broad. He, for example, is a believer that that group licensing sphere, if you will, that group licensing model essentially looks like this. Pate State is a Learfield IMG partner. They distribute all of our games and radio and whatnot. You've heard of Learfield IMG for a long time, but the Learfield IMGs of the world, they are the affiliate partner, the broadcast partner, etc., the licensing partner of Pate State. All of a sudden, they get in the NIL game. Okay, so Pate State recruits a five-star quarterback. Well, Learfield IMG comes to Pate State, and just because we're clients with them, we get cuts from Ford or from Chevy or from Toyota or from Aflac or from State Farm. And these are not companies that are going to do one-on-one business with a local high school kid. These are not companies, all due respect, that are going to be trafficking with your collective. They're, they're too big for that. But they're not too big for the Learfield IMGs of the world. And they're not too big for Pate State or Alabama or USC and the like. And all of a sudden, that five-star quarterback lives in a world a few years down the road where he knows what his value would be, what his earnings would be at my program because of that partnership before he ever puts pen to paper. A receiver of four or five-star notoriety knows that while his position value may be a little less than quarterback, it's still way up there. Now, Shannon mentioned this earlier today and said, I think the top, top players are going to have access to that group licensing world. But I think by and large, the more rank and file players are going to live in the collective world. So the collective world's not going anywhere. And I'm a believer the collective world's not going anywhere. I think it'll fade a little bit more into the background. And that group licensing model will creep a little bit more into the forefront as the years go on. Because I think everyone will like it. Players will like it. The families of players will like it because you absolutely understand your value. It doesn't limit you, by the way, from getting additional NIL deals if you can secure them by yourself. It doesn't limit you from getting collective money. It doesn't limit any of that. What it does is it basically gives you what you would call a downside guarantee of knowing how much money you're going to make pending you stay in school and you keep your grades up and you stay out of trouble. So you have benchmarks you have to hit. But it's just, it's so much neater and cleaner and organized that way. And here's the, here's the other side of that. The schools make a ton of money off of it. Because if it's their IP that's all ultimately offering the value, if Pate State, for example, if that logo exists before you ever come to play for me, and that logo is going to have value whether you come play for me or not, then you better believe whatever cut of that group licensing is coming through here it's going to be in my pocket before it's in your pocket. Now, again, as I said 10 minutes ago, you can decide whether you like that or not. You may have differing opinion from me. I happen to like the model I just mentioned a little bit more than what we have currently. But if you like more Wild West approaches to things and you, you kind of get into those, those Jaden Rashada fiascos where no one really knows who can afford to pay what and can your collective fit the bill and do you owe someone else money? Does it get litigious? Did anyone read the fine print and the paperwork? Uh, the answers were no, because none of these places are set up to do this stuff. And likewise, on the other side of the coin, the folks I'm talking about very much are. 
they didn't wake up this morning and think that they need to get in this game. There's been a lot of legwork put in this already. And so I think the, the terms brand value versus roster value, which we've talked about on the show before, I think you're going to see it injected into the mainstream vernacular of the college football space. I think five years from now, every one of you will understand the difference between brand value and roster value. Roster value meaning if I'm a corner and I play for Pate State, what am I worth to that team? No different than an NFL salary number, in other words. But brand value, what does, what does Golden Flake think I'm worth? What kind of partnership could I secure with Exxon? I don't know, is Exxon in the NIL game? Point being, there is a difference there. Those are two completely different buckets. And I think that's where we're headed. And I do think that it will be a lot more accepted by a lot more people than the structure we have currently. Now, you can consider that good news if you want to. I don't have a lot of good news to share with what we're about to talk about. I, I do appreciate you guys being tuned in live, though. Um, as we normally do, if, if we're going to talk about something that's uncomfortable, I do need to take a sip from the chalice. So let me do that right now. And spill a little on my pants. There's no other way for me to say this. I think the Pac-12 is in a lot of trouble. I've had that sinking feeling in my stomach for a little while, but I haven't. I've kept a brave face on for you guys, Pac-12, Peyton, all. I think they're in trouble. I don't have a good feel about what's going on in the western portion of the college football United States of America right now. In fact, I do have a good feel. It's a bad feel. So, so I have a feel on it. It's just not a good one. It's a bad one. The best thing for college football, I think most of us would agree, is just having vibrance coast to coast. Um, you, you've got the ACC rolling and the SEC and the Big Ten, even down to the G5 levels, but all the way over to the West Coast, Pac-12 and the like, the Big 12, we want them all good. You may be a Michigan fan and you may say to yourself, I just care about Michigan. Okay, that's, that's cool. There are people out there who really don't care about the overall health of the sport. They just care about their team. I do find that college football fans care about the overall shape of their sport way more than professional sports fans do. Pro sports fans, number one, don't really have to worry about this because it is in everyone's vested interest to be on the same page when it comes to the health and well-being of those sports. And also, there, there are very few people calling the shots there, whereas in college football, it feels like we've got a million of them. So I wish everyone was healthy. And I wish all these conferences were flying high, and some of them are. The Pac-12 is not. And the logic, once upon a time, was the Pac-12 is going to be fine. Their media rights deal is coming up, true, but they're going to be fine because there are so many more players in the room. There's so many more networks. The streaming giants are in the room. Surely there'll be enough money to go around where even the Pac-12 will cash in. Doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it at all. So. Dennis Dodd, I know him as Uncle Dennis, you know him as Dennis Dodd, not by blood, has done a lot of reporting on this, not exclusively. I mean, a lot of folks have this covered from a lot of different angles. I just think Dennis has done a really good job over at CBSSports.com of presenting the Pac-12's perspective as well as the rights holders' perspectives or the presumed rights holders' perspectives. And it sounds like they're a long ways apart and have been at the negotiating table for quite a while. And the issue sounds like the Pac-12 may have just waited too long. You see, we got new leadership in the Big 12 and the Pac-12. George Klyvkoff is the current commissioner in the Pac-12. And Brett Yormark walked in as the Big 12 commissioner last year. 
at just the right time because he proceeded to put the pedal on the floor and work his way around the Pac-12 and the pecking order and get in line and get a media rights deal secured for the Big 12. And so what looked like a very unstable situation for the Big 12 for a while is now not that. Even with OU and Texas walking out the door. In fact, Brett Yormark got them to leave early or facilitated a deal where they could leave early. So they got some added cash from that. That's a businessman instead of a bureaucrat running things. That's how that's done. Over on the West Coast, maybe not so much. I say maybe because it is very hard to know the full truth of what's going on behind the scenes. So I'm holding out hope. I am, I am pessimistic but hopeful that there may be some things still that we don't know that have a softer landing on this thing than it sounds like we're going to have. So the major networks are just not interested in the price point that the Pac-12 is looking for. And as a result, you've started to hear reporting in the last week. I'm sure you've already heard some of these things. But if you haven't, as I told you before, when you have the streaming giants enter the equation, it is probably last-ditch effort territory. Because no conference wants to be the first conference to have a majority of their games on a streaming network, and especially not the Pac-12, because the Pac-12 product is not nearly as must-see or in-demand. The SEC, while they don't want to do it, they could do it and be fine. They don't need to. But if they had to, they could be fine. The Pac-12 is a take-it-or-leave-it product right now, meaning people are very indifferent. I see the numbers outside of Oregon and the schools you're about to lose anyway, like Southern Cal, UCLA, etc. Very few people find Pac-12 football as appointment television. And so if you make them work to find it, if you put it on Apple Plus, if you put it on Amazon, it's not that it's impossible to find. It's just that if you think about your viewership habits right now, a lot of you who are not in the Pac-12 footprint already, when you end up watching a Pac-12 game, unless you're just a diehard fan like us, it's because it either comes on after another game you had been watching, or it's the last thing on TV that night, or, or you're just channel surfing and you come across it and you say, oh, college football. Let's see what Cal and, and Oregon State do tonight. What if you had to search for it? Would you put forth any effort? The answer for a lot of you is no, and I, I don't blame you. That's okay. I, if, if that's the case, and, and to be clear, those streaming giants' names have entered the equation. If that's the case, that's probably not good territory. So Dennis Dodd's latest report, which I think was released yesterday, sort of detailed what they may stand to profit if they were to partner with any of a number of possible suitors that have been floated out there. And the numbers, I'm telling you, even though as of today, some folks have gone on record with Dennis and said otherwise, I'm telling you point blank, if the price points that Dennis Dodd have spelled out recently are anywhere close to the average per year that those universities would get, which is around $25 million, they're done. That lags about $50 million per school per year behind what Big Ten institutions would be getting. Let me translate that for you. The University of Illinois, the University of Indiana, would be a $50 million per year richer outfit than the University of Oregon because of the sticker they have on their helmet. Now again, I need to reiterate, in the interest of full disclosure, I think one of the Arizona schools, either presidents or ADs, was on the record with Dennis just today saying, hey, the numbers, while we may not get what we wanted, 
it's going to be enough to keep the conference together. I don't believe that. Just point blank. And you know as well as I do, if you followed this stuff, everyone sings the right tune right up until the news breaks that they're out. So that means nothing to me. And it also leads me to ask a number of questions. I mean, Jesse put together a very, very detailed graphic, actually. It's on your screen right now. If you're listening on podcast, it's the top 10 Pac-12 games via TV ratings. Last year, I mean, Washington, Oregon was the most viewed game at 3.6 million viewers, just to give you an idea. That's a rivalry game now. That's one of the biggest games in the Pac-12. I think Michigan-Ohio State did something like 17 mil. And so you're also talking about a Pac-12 in the future that removes USC and UCLA. So you, you remove it even more of the value than they currently have. I, I don't like where we are now. Okay, so that's all negative. There's, just, there's no good news I just gave you. A few things to keep in mind. Number one, very few people know the full picture here. So it could be, fingers crossed as I utter this sentence, it could be that George Klyvkoff and the power players on the West Coast do have an ace in their back pocket. I hope they do. Unselfishly, actually. I hope they do. The second possibility that I floated the other night, and I'm going to float it to you again, is there could be an interested third party out there that views the Pac-12 through a different prism than you and I, or maybe even ESPN or Fox or CBS, etc. See, if you work for a media company, you view them strictly through the lens of how much is that inventory worth to us? How much can we sell advertising against that to get our money back and then make a profit? That is the media rights world at the end of the day. But if I'm an interested third party and I have tons of money at my disposal, and I need a marketing machine behind whatever it is I do. You can just fill in the blank, whatever it is I do. Pate State Entertainment, for example. I, I'm flush with cash, and I look at the Pac-12, and they're in distress out there. And all these TV partners are sitting over here on the other side of the river saying, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you guys. We're just not willing to cross the river and risk losing money in the effort to have you. If I'm rich enough to build the bridge, the TV partners are more than happy to carry the games. It's just that it would look like I'm lighting money on fire. And I would be if I was in the strictly transactional business of paying you what your games are worth. But if I take an early loss on fitting the bill so these TV networks and partners can carry your games, but I think the marketing apparatus that comes along with me essentially buying your conference is worth it in the long run for me, that is something that could be explored. If you need to see an example of this, look at what, oh, I don't know, Big 12 Commissioner Brett Yormark once did with Sprint and NASCAR. Yeah, they didn't always call that thing the Sprint Cup. Long ago, it was the Winston Cup. It became the Sprint Cup for a reason. So you can research that, children, on your own time. I don't know why I clapped. A third thing to keep in mind is if the worst were to happen here, that means we have more realignment chaos coming. And I've got to be blunt with you. I think that's the most likely scenario uh, because as of, as of airtime tonight, we have not heard back from any billionaires. And so no one thus far has taken us up on our ideal or, or idea of, of sort of being the 11th hour angel. There, there has been no George Knox visit to the mound to tell Tony Danza, you got an angel with you right now and he's going to help you. I don't think that's happening. There is not an angel in the outfield scenario, at least in the cards as I see it. So the most likely scenario is 
all of a sudden the Pac-12 as you know it crumbles. And you may already say, Josh, isn't that happening? USC and UCLA are gone. Well, you're kind of right. But as of the moment, they are trying to sell to you that they can stay afloat without those two. I don't know that they can. And in the meantime, you just got the Big Ten sitting there. You just got the Big 12 sitting there. And they're looking at those Arizona schools, or in the Big Ten's case, you may be looking at Washington or Oregon. And look, if they head east, figuratively, they're not getting a full cut of that Big Ten pie. But you just heard the numbers I floated from Uncle Dennis. Even if you don't get a full cut, would you rather have 100% of $25 million, Or would you rather have 60% of $80 million? I had stats and info run the numbers, and it seems like the latter is the proper route. So it also doesn't hurt that you have affiliation with Nike. I don't think Oregon is going to be a poverty program anytime soon, but not everyone on the West Coast is Oregon. So when you say your prayers tonight, throw the Pac-12 in the mix. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Academy Sports and Outdoors, none of these issues. Late kick, because we are associated with Academy Sports and Outdoors, none of these issues. Academy is the entity that built the bridge from us to you, so no one has to pay for this show, and we appreciate that. It was 80 degrees in Nashville today. Now, producer Jesse's been a little salty, because he's usually prone to saltiness, but especially when he sees 80 degrees on days that he has to come to work. And what's it going to be tomorrow, Jesse? Raw, mid-50s, drizzly and rainy when he wants to get himself on the golf course around here. Be that as it may, spring will come. You have my word on that. Spring will come. I'm also monitoring a potential tornado outbreak for those of you in the Southeast next Friday. So we'll talk about that off air on the socials. But in the meantime, as far as on air and as far as your life throughout spring, you know you're going to be outdoors. I know you guys like no one else does. And I know you love the outdoors, whether you be 
a biker or whether you be a camper or a hiker. Some of you are just outright climbers, whether you get on the grill, whether you play baseball or just do all of the above. These folks right here, Academy Sports and Outdoors, next to me, they know you better than anyone else. Here's how well they know you. The stuff you need is already there and you never even asked for it. You never even filled out a wish list. One of the favorite bits of feedback I get, I got two of them today actually, is, hey, I didn't think Academy would have this thing I need, but look, I'm taking a picture of myself with it in the Academy parking lot. That could be you. And if you don't have one in your backyard, academy.com is your hookup. Uh, we got to talk some actual football. Media rights, NIL, that's great, but we got to talk some actual football here. And also, I would like to strongly encourage you Nay, beg you to like the video if you're watching right now because, well, we can do better. We are better than 329 likes. And also, if you haven't subscribed to the channel already, please do because our numbers are crazy right now. So I'm not asking you to do anything you haven't already done. I'm saying if you haven't subscribed, if which 50% of you haven't, according to our numbers as of today, there's no reason for you not to. Keep it free. Subscribe. Thank you. Okay, let's go. SEC East, spring questions here. I've got big ones, and we're going to go through them quick. Immunity. We're going to go through them quick because I've got them for every program here. Uh, one of them is a national storyline, and that is the Georgia quarterback situation. They won the national championship last year again, and they're going to be one of the preseason favorites again. And I am alleged to never talk about Georgia. If I believe everything they say about me in the comments, I never talk about Georgia. So let's talk about the University of Georgia, my home state. Carson Beck is going to be the starting quarterback here. I hate to spoil things. Most of the locals know that, but I will reiterate just for public consumption. I think Carson Beck's going to be the starting quarterback there. However, it's not the worst thing in the world to have some competition in the spring. Now, there are a lot of people talking in a lot of different directions about how Kirby Smart could have had his pick of any offensive coordinator out there, and he chose to elevate Mike Bobo from in-house. I'm old enough to remember the Fire Bobo campaigns every other week at Georgia in the SEC. Well, he gets another shot at it here. Uh, this is not hard to figure out. Number one, Kirby Smart has pretty much perfected their process over there and their way of doing things, and it's not the craziest concept in the world for him to look around and say, we've got this thing so dialed in, any of a number of people could be effective coordinators here. He came from a place that was like that for a long time, and that is Alabama. And so he's got it like that. And so it, it did not jump out to me in the least, as I told you already, that he elevated Bobo. But I thought you were talking about quarterback, Josh. I am. I'm telling you one of the reasons behind Kirby Smart elevating Mike Bobo is if you're going to have a first-year fill-in-the-blank, in this case quarterback, starting for you, what you don't want is him having to learn new terminology and learn a new offense in the spring or learn new anything in the spring for that matter. Now, Kirby, no matter who he brought in, was probably going to have that guy do things their way. So there weren't going to be a whole lot of verbiage that was new to the table anyway. But now there's absolutely nothing new to learn. It's just continuing to rep what you've always repped. And there's a different sounding voice telling you what to do, but he's telling you the same things. And so Carson Beck, Keep an eye on that. I was over there when they played Tennessee and talked to their staff, and I asked them. Now, that's in the middle of Stetson Bennett's season, and he's going to end up going to New York, and I asked them then if, if Stetson went down right now, or let's just not be so morbid about it, this time next year, 
who is it? And most of them said, it's, it's probably going to be Beck. He, he looks the best. It's going to be Beck. And I believe him on that. So let's take a look at Carson Beck this spring. Let's take a look at Graham Mertz this spring. What you talking about Wisconsin for? I'm not. He transferred to Florida. Did you know that? I think most of you did. Most of you tuned in are diehards. But if you didn't, someone may have come back from their honeymoon. Someone may have done the irresponsible thing of spending Christmas with their family instead of being locked into the transfer portal. And shame on you if you are that person. We kid. Um, we're here for you. To remind you, the Graham Mertzes of the world were on the move while you were focusing on responsible things around the holidays, and he is now a Florida Gator and may very well be their starting quarterback. In fact, if he's not, I don't know who will be. Um, I had someone come to me the other day, not come at me, but come to me the other day and said, I've got a bold prediction for you. And I said, it's not bold prediction season yet. See me in August. He said, nope, I got to get this off my chest now. And his reason was, a lot of people are going to be saying what I'm saying to you. He said, Graham Mertz is the next Hendon Hooker. I paused. As, as I thought something else was coming behind it. And nothing did. That was, that was the entirety of the prediction. I am hesitant to buy into that. But crazier things have happened. I will just say, for the record, I don't think that will be one of the more popular predictions that we get in August. But Billy Napier has got to hitch his wagon to the horses he's got. And it may very well be that Graham Mertz is a guy who is able to do big things for Florida this year. They got a big void to fill. It's mock draft season, you know. Some people are suggesting that Anthony Richardson may be as high as the number one overall player taken in the draft. Let me pause and take a sip from the chalice while you ponder that. Not every opinion that is disseminated from this company is reflected in the minds of the other people who work at this company. Uh, the depth behind him is nil. So it's got to be Graham Mertz, and we need to keep a close eye on him this fall. They open at Utah, by the way. And while at the moment that is scheduled as a Saturday game, should they move that to a Thursday night game, late kick live from Salt Lake City could happen. I'm just putting it out there. Next up, Tennessee. Defense. When you think of Tennessee, when you think of garbage, think of Hakeem. When you think of defense, think Tennessee. They finished, oh, where's the number? 44th in the country in points per game this last year. Is that good enough? Well, it wasn't good enough to do everything they wanted to do. It was good enough to, let's, let's be real, their offense was good enough to overcome that. I want to ask you, as we watch the volunteers go through spring practice, as everyone's talking about Joe Milton versus Nico Iamaliava, which we will be too at quarterback. How good do they need to be at defense? Because this is one of those situations where they don't need to be a top 10 unit. They're going to score enough. So they were 44th. I would focus on becoming a top 25 unit, top 20 unit. You can always have higher aspirations. You want to work to a standard. I get all that. I don't have to because I am not Tennessee. I sit here and talk about Tennessee. I have a, a Tennessee flavored mysterious liquid in the chalice. But I'm a realist. If they're a number 20 overall defensive product, they're good enough to compete for a playoff spot in the national championship. And that really, outside of that quarterback battle, that's what I'll be watching in Knoxville starting this spring. They play, and Jesse, I need you to look this up for me. Oh, never mind. It's on there. Thank you. They play in Nashville to start the season. Is that right? 
So Tennessee's first game is, is across the river from my apartment. We could see Tennessee play from our office building in week one against Virginia. Interesting. Okay, well, I did not know that. I actually had not broken down the schedules yet. So that's that. Let's watch defense for Tennessee. Uh, South Carolina, going to stay on the defensive side of the ball for them. Pass rush. Need it to develop, and they're going to need to rely on some young kids to come through pretty quickly for them. They're losing Jordan Birch, which is not the most cataclysmic development in the history of South Carolina football. I'll grant you that, but he was a warm, dependable body that had been a highly rated recruit, and you were still hoping his best football was ahead of him. Uh, Pickens is gone. They lose three of their top five pass rushers. It wasn't a phenomenal unit to begin with last year. But in needing to improve, you have pieces to replace, and also they, they've got a combination, as do most teams, of portal guys and then young guys coming in through recruiting, and spring football is going to be about seeing how quickly we can expedite those guys' development. I'm not sure how much we'll learn through just a spring game of watching them, but the kind of intel that I'll be looking for out of Columbia is kind of like we talked about with LSU the other night. Are you a finished product? No, of course you're not. What kind of potential do you think you have now that maybe you didn't know about four weeks ago when you started spring ball? Uh, at Kentucky, their offensive line was bad last year. It's not all their fault. Bama swiped their offensive line coach at the 11th and a half hour, Eric Wolford. So they gave up 47 sacks last year. You can either say that was last in the SEC or it led the SEC. It was really bad. No one was worse in the SEC. And I don't necessarily know that there's a ton of promise that it improves this year, but crazier things have happened. Hey, if you're into returning starters, they returned four or five and they brought in two transfers. Good thing, bad thing, I don't know. I also have uh, the handy post-it pop here at Missouri. Can Sam Horn make a move? Can he? Can he secure that starting quarterback position? He redshirted during the 2022 season. They need him to be big. And also Vandy, which we could also throw a rock out the window and hit. Just very interested in how much that 2022 signing class emerges. And that's not one player. They, they need kind of wholesale improvement across the board. But remember, they beat Kentucky last year. Vandy played some good football down the stretch which if you have an emerging freshman class is when you start to see that sort of gain some traction. So that's what we're looking for in the SEC East this spring. They are, I have an announcement to make actually momentarily. They're watching us in Auburn, Alabama right now. Ironically, I just got a text from someone who lives in Auburn, Alabama. They're watching us in Apopka, Florida, and they're watching us in Indianapolis, Indiana. Now, I don't want you to freak out when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not jumping ship. I'm not trading in my college football colors for NFL colors, but I will be in Indianapolis next week. I will be covering the NFL Combine. Don't worry. We're going to do the show live from up there. Big Game Dane has things under control, so we'll be live from, I don't know, somewhere in Indianapolis. Maybe Wilt Fong's backyard, maybe Lucas Oil Stadium, maybe the Marriott. I don't know. But don't freak out. I normally don't delve into those waters, but management requested it, and so I am nothing if not a people pleaser. So we'll be in Indianapolis next week. If you want to drop by and say hi, I can't even tell you to do that because I don't know where we're going to be. I am very much in soldier mode next week. Just salute and do whatever the mustaches tell me to do. 
and then come back and jump right back into the college football waters. All right. The transfer portal. Transfer portal's always active. The quarterback position is the most important position in this sport. And I need to tell you, because one of you asked me, and we couldn't get it in on the Late Kick Extra podcast the other day, I need to answer this question. Someone asked, out of the portal quarterbacks, who has the biggest impact next year from Annandale, New Jersey? I don't ever like to answer with just one guy because that doesn't create a segment for us. But I'll give you four of them I have my eyes on. Now, on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, we have the top transfer portal quarterbacks with new teams. Sam Hartman is the clear number one here. So Sam Hartman was at Wake Forest. He's transferred to Notre Dame. 63% completion guy last year. Uh, Jesse, remind me in my ear, or you could just use the speaker if you want to, the chart you showed me earlier about yards after catch. Do we actually have that? Okay, so I'm going to give Jesse one second and we will. So that, that stat for Hartman there, I, I'm going to fill time here. He has the most passing touchdowns in ACC history. Now, I don't normally show visual elements on the show that you have to be watching to understand because a lot of you just listen via podcast and I don't want to show you things that, that you can't have if you're listening on pod. So I'm going to try my best to tell you what you're looking at here. This is from our buddy Parker over at Stats War on Twitter. Re questionable opinions about life in various aspects, but really, really good follow for college football. Really data-centric, has the opposite of my problem. When, when you're in like the, the sort of ADHD lane, you can't look at numbers more than 10 seconds without it looking like a bowl of alphabet soup. He does a really good job. So this right here is a chart. On the bottom, you have air yards. That's just the, the amount of yards you threw the football in and then the receiver caught it, boom, right there. How many yards did you throw for? Then on the other side, the I believe what would be the y-axis. This shows you how little I delve into this stuff. Those would be yards after catch. See that little icon that's all the way in the far bottom right corner of your screen? That would be Sam Hartman alone on an island out there throwing for a ton of yards and then that would be Sam Hartman's receivers doing absolutely nothing after the catch. Wild. Yeah, great quarterback, ton of yards, and then basically however far he threw it is where the chains will be set and where the ball will be spot for the next down. He goes to Notre Dame. I cannot promise young Samuel that he'll have a plethora of yards after the catch specialists up there either. He's also got a new coordinator, so we'll see. That's one to keep an eye on because he's a really good talent. The other one that I am very intrigued by is DJ Uyangalale because we're not talking about Clemson anymore. By the way, I got four names for you here, and every one of them is an ACC quarterback leaving the ACC. Uh, DJ goes to Oregon State, for those of you who have not been keeping track at home. This last year... There were, it was a very, very weird thing because his season ended poorly. He ends up transferring, but there was a time where he was playing pretty good football, or at least his numbers made it look like he was playing pretty good football, and it was the first eight games of the season. I got them right here in front of me. They're handwritten, though. It looks like Brandon Walker's cursive. So they started 8-0, and he was a 64% completion percentage guy, first eight games. Uh, the last five, 59%. Uh, they're... they're Passing yards per game with him went from 225 to 142. Yards per attempt, 7.7 .7 to 5.3. And those first eight games, this is really kind of where it swung. He was a 17 to 4 
touchdown to INT guy. Then it was five to three over the last five games. And you saw Cade Klubnick play a little bit too. Anyway, you saw what happened at Clemson. Yeah, he transferred. They fired the OC. So you get Garrett Riley come to Clemson and he's got Cade Klubnick and everyone, myself included, expects improvement. But what if DJ was just in an unwinnable situation? And he all of a sudden goes to Oregon State and he starts playing really good again. You know, kind of like he did the first time you ever saw him in that Notre Dame game. I don't know that we should be giving up on DJ Uyangalale just because he, maybe through some external factors, along with his underachievement, hasn't lived up to everyone's expectation yet. Let's be careful. Just be careful selling him all the way down the river. Devin Leary was at NC State. Now he's at Kentucky. I need one of you to make sure he stays healthy. I'm not sure Kentucky's offensive line is going to be up to the challenge. 47 sacks given up last year, last in the SEC. We just talked about that a little while ago. So if you can guarantee me he can stay healthy, which was a problem last year, if you can guarantee me he stays healthy, in 2021, he was the only quarterback in America with at least 35 touchdowns and less than five INTs. So we're not talking about untapped potential here. We've seen him play pretty high-level football. Certainly more than high-level enough for Kentucky to look at him and say, if we get that from him, we'll we'll be okay. We'll surprise a lot of people. So if they can get a healthy Devin Leary, which is up to them, then Kentucky's always in a position where they could surprise some folks, especially since they did not hit their over-under last year. They didn't hit the over. Over Over-under was 8.5. They went 7-6. and And so now everyone will... Find it trendy to sell on them. Will Levis is gone. Well, they got a pretty good quarterback in there. It's the pieces around him we need to wait and see about. The last one I wanted to talk to you about for a second is Jeff Sims. Do you remember him? What do you remember about Jeff Sims? Well, he was at Georgia Tech. Now he's at Nebraska. That was the trivia question at the top of the hour. I think there's a lot left in the tank with him. I'm on an island a little bit there. That's okay. He, it, all I ever hear about Jeff Sims is he's 7-16. and 16. As, well, yeah, he played on a team that was 7-16. and 16. I guess you're the starting pitcher if you're the quarterback, so that's your record. I'm thinking about fit. I'm thinking about Matt Rule sitting up there voluntarily in Lincoln, Nebraska, saying Jeff Sims has NFL tools. He has NFL potential. He's not the only person I've heard say that about Jeff Sims. His career thus far has not borne that out, but he's got a little while left to go in his career. And his size, his ability in Matt Rule's offense could provide an immediate spark for them. So let's keep an eye on Jeff Sims as well. Those are four portal quarterbacks that I've got my eye on. This next thing that we're going to do, it's it's not necessarily the highest trafficked segment when we put it as individual videos on our channel. But that's okay. Because sometimes I put stuff in the show that may not be the most grabby, catchy, clickbaity headline and thumbnail ever, but I just think it's really fun to talk about. Good for us, by the way. Good for us. And I asked you guys a few weeks ago, if you could change some stuff about history to have maximum impact on the sport, what are some of the things that you would change? And a lot of folks go to 2007, and they go to different things in 2007. Now, this is where I always love to talk to the college audience. We have a massive, our 18 to 24-year-old demographic is our biggest demographic. So a lot of you are fairly young, and you don't remember 07 all that well. Let me tell you, it's worth a Google. It's worth taking a look at. It's worth reading about craziness. 
you're talking about the Renaissance season to end all Renaissance seasons. Every week, just unimaginable chaos. Kansas was a top five team. Okay, South Florida was in the mix. Let me tell you how crazy it got. We got to the last weekend of the season, and the projected national championship game was Missouri versus West Virginia. In football, not in 1938 either. In football, in the year of our Lord, 2007, that's how close we came. What if it happened is the shakeup I want to give to history here. How close were we? Well, we needed Pat McAfee to make a few kicks for West Virginia so that they beat Pitt. West Virginia is a four-touchdown favorite against Pitt. They lose 13-9. to The quote from Rich Rodriguez afterwards, it was a nightmare, the whole thing was a nightmare. And pretty much everything afterwards has been a nightmare for Rich Rod. If they win that thing, if Missouri wins the Big 12 championship against Oklahoma, which they lost 38-17, if, if either one of them wins, we have a different matchup. But if both of them win, we see West Virginia-Missouri in the most undesirable national championship game of all time, if you're a network, if you're, if you're ABC, I believe, at the time carrying the game. But I'm not worried about that. I, I don't, I don't, that's not my world. So as a fan, that would have been crazy fascinating. We ended up getting LSU-Ohio State. You remember that. But, but walk with me for a second into the abyss. And let's just assume that history played out different. And we got West Virginia versus Missouri for the BCS championship in Glendale, Arizona. The first thing that came to my mind is, what happens to Rich Rodriguez? West Virginia probably would have been favored in that game. Uh, that's, I mean, that's, that, they had a squad, Pat White, Steve Slate, and that's back when they had that squad. So if, if Rich Rodriguez wins a title at West Virginia, does he ever leave? What does it do for the Big East? Because at the time, that's right, kids, <laughs> they used to play football in the Big East. At the time, they're a Big East team. The Big East is not far from imploding, as it turns out at that time. But what's the butterfly effect? What's the chaos theory ramification for West Virginia winning a title for the Big East? What would have happened to Les Miles at LSU? That was Les Miles' first national championship. He wins it in 07 with two losses. They won the title, not even in an expanded playoff. You got a two-team playoff. You got the BCS. They just take the top two teams. And 2007 was so upside down, out of this world nuts, that there was a two-loss team that made the championship game and won it, and that was LSU. Uh, if, if Les Miles doesn't have that 07 championship in his back pocket, what happens? Because he lived off that for a long time. What happens? How much sooner, in other words, is he gone? Because Nick Saban was going to take Alabama, where Nick Saban always took Alabama, but what would have happened at LSU? I thought about that. I don't really know what the answer is. I thought about that. Um, here's the thing I thought about the most, though. Think about it from a broadcast network perspective. Think about it from a college football power player's perspective. You love it when you get LSU versus Ohio State for a championship. That was the biggest sigh of relief in the history of this sport. You pay all this money to buy the rights to broadcast that championship game, and they're on the precipice of serving you up West Virginia versus Missouri. All due respect. 
It is, it is a trash product from a ratings and revenue generating perspective. And then it's like God smiles on you and says, I find you to be in extremely high favor. You don't want Missouri, West Virginia? How about I give you LSU, Ohio State? How about I give you Ohio State versus the SEC? Yes, please. But what if that didn't happen? What if someone had to bite that West Virginia, West Virginia, Missouri bullet, and all of a sudden they're looking around saying, if we had a four-team playoff, it would have been taken care of. If we had a playoff, we would have been able to get LSU and Ohio State in this thing. We were eventually going to get the playoff anyway. As history shows us, we got it in 2014. I'm not so sure we may not have lurched towards that playoff a lot quicker as a sport if they would have been forced to swallow Missouri versus West Virginia. There are so many angles that you could go on that thing. I mean, listen, I didn't even mention what if Missouri won a title? What would that do for the Big 12? Missouri ended up leaving the Big 12 shortly thereafter. They went to the SEC where they are right now. I just, I look at the 20, or the 2007 AP rankings entering bowl games, and it is wild. Hawaii's up there. Uh, Missouri's up there. So, yeah, it was, it was a crazy time for us all. Crazy time for us all. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. All right, I wanted to get to this other question because I promised one of you that I was going to talk about this tonight. And go ahead and show me the question, Colin, and then I'll just kind of circle back around to how this all came about. So one of you asked me today about a response, a reply I gave on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, by the way, to Joe Castiglione. That is the AD, longtime athletic director since the late 90s at Oklahoma. And someone was asking him about this interview he gave where he was talking about stadium enhancements. So he said uh, it was kind of taken out of context. Instead, we're focusing on renovations that create great fan experience. Seating capacity could grow someday. And he went on to say, yeah, it could happen, but we're not going to 100,000 seats in Oklahoma Stadium. We're not going to do that. And I responded and said, good, no one in their right mind should have capacity increases at the forefront of stadium renovation plans. It doesn't make sense in 2023. And one of you said, why? 
Tickets are becoming insanely expensive. Why would we be not interested in expanding capacity? So I told you, I'm going to talk about it on the show tonight, and here we are. There's this, there's this timeout I sort of have to call sometimes on my personal preference in the way college football is run. Even I understand that I have personal preferences that may not be in the best interest of the game overall. You know, I, I for example, could not care less about luxury suites. I don't, well, aside from one recent exception, I don't sit in luxury suites, and I certainly never did. Before I got in this business, I could barely afford the regular tickets. In most cases, I couldn't. So I certainly have never lived in the luxury suite strata of society. But I understand what pays the bills. So like when I'm thinking about stadium overhauls and enhancements, I personally could not care less. I love the Cotton Bowl in Dallas because none of you get suites. All of you have to sit on the same metal bleacher. That's beautiful to me. A lot of you don't like that, and it doesn't generate near the revenue that it does when you have hundreds and hundreds of suites to sell to really, really deep-pocketed people. So anyway, that's where there's a divergence, my personal preference from what's best for college football. Well, Joe Castiglione is in the real college football world where no matter what his preference is, you can't afford to be adding capacity if it doesn't coincide with adding amenities. This is the entertainment and amenity world of especially in-stadium presentation nowadays. There, there is way too much incentive for people to stay home. That if you, if you think that they're going to sit through the same experience today as they did in 1993, you're crazy. They, they don't have the options in 1993. They got the options today. And so you look at everything that can cost something going up. Concessions, up. Parking, up. They make you pay to tailgate. That wasn't a thing in 1993. And your tickets cost more. You better be delivering something in exchange. And a lot of places that are undergoing enhancements in their stadiums say, okay, that means we have to enhance your experience, which usually means expanding some things. And it usually means taking out overall seating capacity, reducing seating capacity. Everyone's doing that. So if you're planning an upgrade, and you're, you're going to invest money in overhauling your stadium. No one's adding seats. They're adding amenities. They're not adding seats. And so that's the world you frankly don't really need to be here, in my opinion. Because if I, like I said, if I had it my way, I, I would operate it like the Eagles used to operate their concerts. Leave your cell phones at the door. And every one of you is going to sit in the same seat. And that's the college football side of things. And you get your phone when you're on your way out. But you're going to immerse yourself in the experience while you're here. But the, the real world can't operate that way. Because the real world is not an Eagles concert, as it turns out. And so that's why we wouldn't increase capacity. Uh, yes, yes, there is a risk here. There is a very real risk of pricing the everyday fan out of the market. It's already happening. I just told you, you run the number. I know a lot of you have because a lot of you are, are living this existence right now. A lot of you have told me in the past, I've been a season ticket holder at fill in the blank university for a number of years, but times are tight. Economy is trash and prices keep going up. And I'm looking at what it costs to take my family of four to the same thing I've taken them to for 20 years. I can't afford to do it anymore. Well, they don't let you hit time out on that stuff. You either pay those dues every year or you go to the back of the line. And yeah, that's not going anywhere. So 
Yeah, it's a real risk. It's a risk these athletic directors are facing. You don't think that the Joe Castiglione's of the world, you don't think the Greg Burns of the world, you don't think those guys understand that? They, they, they've forgotten more about that stuff than you and I know. They have to live in that every single day. Those are not easy decisions. In some cases, the guys who have these jobs are guys who came up no different than me and you. They, they paid their money or they begged their parents because they couldn't afford it to pay their way to go to those games just like us. Just because someone's signing off on decisions from an administrative standpoint doesn't always mean they're in love with the decisions. It's just that it's, it's a necessary decision. That's why you get paid the money you get paid today, to make some hard decisions. So I don't necessarily come to you preaching tonight saying, you should love this. That's not, it's not the greatest thing in the world. It's not the, I'm, I'm being real with you. I don't like it. I don't like it at all, but it's the way things are going. So here's what it is. Uh, I will leave you on a happy note tonight because I'm always happy when I don't have to make the predictions. You make the predictions and Colin, here's your end point. We go back to last summer, uh, a lesser person, a casual would say the off season. And I asked you for your predictions and you gave them. And let's take a look at where some of you landed on these, shall we? Let's start in Coral Gables. Joe said, Miami's going to win the Coastal. Joe, no, they, they did not. They did not at all. Unfortunately, Joe, I think that I may have agreed with you because I put a five on this. And as our friends over on the FSU board have famously pointed out, I predicted Miami to go 10 and 2. So yeah, I thought they were going to win the Coastal. Sue me. Don't. That's the opposite of what this show's about. But I did think they were going to have a lot better season than five and seven. I asked Jesse today. Actually, I didn't have to ask him. He just told me. He said, guess how many teams hit their over on the win total in the entire Coastal Division? And I got Duke, but I did not remember Georgia Tech. I didn't remember. Well, North Carolina made the conference title game, but North Carolina didn't even have an overly special year. So it just was not a noteworthy year in the Coastal. Bad misread of the situation. Sorry. So that one did not hit. Next up, this one did not hit. Will Anderson going to win the Heisman Trophy, says Felix. Will Anderson did not win the Heisman Trophy. Now, at the time, I remember saying this. I said, I've got to put a big boldness rating on this because I don't run the Heisman. Like I thought to myself, if I were able to dictate the Heisman finalist instead of the voting class voting on him, then Will Anderson would have a really good shot at this. But Will Anderson was not going to have a good shot because he got screwed out of being a finalist the year before, and I saw no reason that was going to change. Well, then also you add into that the fact that Will Anderson's numbers just weren't as good and not nearly as good in 2022 as they were in 2021. About half the total tackles, uh, half the total solo tackles, uh, way, way less, like 14 fewer tackles for loss and 10 or seven and a half fewer sacks. Math on the fly. Harris County High School stand up. So, yeah, that wasn't close. And even so, I, I, even if he were to deliver on the same numbers he had the year before, it was going to be tough. You're talking about winning it, not being a finalist, winning it. So, yeah, that was pretty bold. Uh, the next one was one of the highest boldness ratings I gave anything all year. Weston Wagoner hit us up and said, Kentucky will upset Georgia at home. No. They will go 11-1 regular season. No. And they will make it to Atlanta. No. Uh, they were competitive against Georgia. They lost 16-6. to So I guess hats off for that. Uh, they were 7-6 and six this year. So they not only didn't win 11 games, they didn't even hit their over-under win total, which was 
And they didn't go to Atlanta. In fact, they lost to Vanderbilt this last year. They were 7-6. and six. It was not a great year for Kentucky. So that one was dead in the water. Next up, this one was lofty, but it wasn't the boldest thing in the world. Ohio State, going to go undefeated, 15-0, and national champions. I don't need to remind you, but I will anyway, in the interest of just being a good sport. They lost to Michigan. Then they got a reprieve, and they go to Atlanta, only to lose to Georgia in the Peach Bowl, in a game that even the head coach at Georgia said Ohio State should have won, for whatever that's worth. I don't, I don't think they give you anything for that. But so that was what it was. Like the prediction fails. I put a, a seven on that. It's hard to go undefeated. Even if you do win the title, it's hard to go undefeated. So yeah, the prediction didn't hit. Here's what's interesting now. As we build towards spring and we end up eventually building towards this coming fall in the next season, uh, people are starting to talk. And I've got my ear to the ground for you. And let me tell you what they're saying. They're saying there's a gap in the Big Ten, like they always have. But the, the gap now, it's Michigan and then a gap and then Ohio State. What do you think about that? We have to talk amongst ourselves here. Uh, what do you think about that? Gap. A gap. I, I know there's a two-game win streak. I've been on the field for both of them. And I know they got to go to Ann Arbor, Michigan again this fall, if memory serves. So I know Jim Harbaugh's got a really good team coming back. Jim Harbaugh himself is coming back. I, we got a quarterback competition to worry about at Ohio State. I know all that. Gap is a strong word for a situation that really requires changes in the form of inches instead of wholesale changes. And that's, some, that's going to be a theme I talk about with Ohio State a lot. I don't think there's a gap. I don't think that. I think, that's, I think those are two really strong football programs. And the last two times they've been on the field, it's gone Michigan's way. I don't think there's this giant gap. I don't see it that way. Maybe I'm wrong. Last up, uh, boy, this one was also dead on arrival. West Virginia, says John, will make the Big 12 championship game. It was a brutal season. The Mountaineers went 5-7. and seven. They missed a bowl game. And here's what's interesting. Like, imagine me coming to you, John, in the preseason. After you made that prediction to me, and I said, well, I got good news for you. You think they're going to the Big 12 championship game. What if I also guarantee you they're going to beat Oklahoma, they're going to beat Oklahoma State, and they're going to beat Baylor? You would, have, you, you would have said, can I go ahead and buy my ticket? And I would have said no, because they're going to lose to Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Kansas State. I also lost to Pitt, if you care about such things. And it was just a very, very bad year. Very bad year. To the point where some people are frankly surprised there wasn't a change in the head coaching position there. They did overhaul the ADs, so we'll see what happens in the future. Neil Brown, uh, people keep asking me to do a hot seat segment, and I'm not doing one because I don't think there are a ton of them out there right now. But if you were to circle one, I don't think it's controversial at this point to say it would probably be Neil Brown at West Virginia. Great week of shows. Thank you so much. Great week of shows. And it's February and I know that some people out there say this is the time to take a break. It's not. I led the show with it, and I'm going to repeat it as we go off the air. There is a ton happening behind the scenes. And the thing about it is you never know when stuff's going to break. That's why it's imperative to be following on the socials at Late Kick Josh. Instagram, Twitter, bonus content. You get to see a lot of high-class ping pong being played around here. But, yeah, I look, I, I just... 
when you have that feeling, I made it analogous to the volcano the other day, when you keep seeing the earthquakes and you keep seeing the little seismograph, that little pen on the piece of paper, it keeps going crazy. Yeah, there, there's a rock slide today. There's some steam spouting out of it tomorrow. Something's coming. Don't know when. Don't know what time. Don't exactly know how big it'll be. But it's going to happen. And you need to be here for it. And subscribe while you're at it so you don't miss anything. For Producer Jesse, for Director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back here same time Sunday night. Until then, take care. Have a great weekend. And God bless. the champagne ready the nba finals are here welcome to the nba finals let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss and to crowning our next champion here's a toast to the nba finals the 2024 nba finals presented by youtube tv continue on abc